0: If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Doc Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do.
1: There's two sort of ways I think we engage in conservation in an intimate and personal way. I hope that this class kind of reveals to each student where their connection lies.
0: This fall, Long Beach's Aquarium of the Pacific has a brand new course starting. They're partnering with Orange Coast College to offer ocean conservation and community science two nights a week on site at the aquarium. And while this new course is free to high school students and allows them to earn three college credits, it's about so much more than simply academics. Aquarium of the Pacific president and CEO, Dr. Peter Cariva will be the lead instructor. Dr. Kariba, before we get to talking about an exciting new class you were teaching at the Aquarium of the Pacific, I'd really like to know, where did you first discover the inspiration for what you're doing right now, making conservation your life's work?
1: Oh, wow. That's a good question. (laughs) I think like a lot of people who are interested in conservation, it starts when you're uh, a kid, you know, when you go look at frogs and streams or go to the beach and sort of kick around the sand and look at the amphipods or you go fishing. So I just, I most enjoyed being outdoors and not an indoor person. And even my first jobs were in construction. And so I decided I really wanted to have a life outdoors. (laughs) And I really just love sort of the, you know, nature's a little bit wild and unpredictable. And I just, like many of us, I just love it for that. And then as I got more educated, and I think we all know that humans have had some negative impacts on nature. And I saw some of my favorite places be lost, harder and harder to see in certain organisms. And I decided I wanted to do something about it. I'm a scientist. And as such, I was trained as a biologist and an ecologist. And The science of biology and ecology I wanted to you know a lot of people who go into biology want to become doctors or medicine I think of conservation as like medicine for the planet and so I embarked on this career of conservation and I did it both academically at universities and then I worked for the nature conservancy which is the world's largest conservation group all over the world And then I worked for NOAA Fisheries and headed their division of conservation biology on the West Coast, worked at UCLA and ran a department. And now I'm here at the aquarium. And all along all those stops, I've done conservation in different ways.
0: And you have an exciting new course, which I better mention up front. You're going to be expanding this in the future. Unfortunately, right now it's full. I don't blame the students. This sounds amazing. But Ocean Conservation and Community Science. How did that course come about?
1: So what came about is, you know, I've taught conservation at universities all over the country and in fact all over the world. And when I moved to the aquarium, this is my first experience working for an aquarium. And I started in the middle of COVID. And I was just so impressed by the opportunities for conservation and what the aquarium does in conservation. I think a lot of people think of aquaria zoos as entertainment, and they certainly are. And a lot of people think of them as, you know, education for kids, and they certainly do that. But what I learned as I got to know Long Beach, the aquarium of the Pacific is, wow, we do a lot of stuff, you know, and and I wanted to share that. And the other thing about aquaria versus doing conservation at a you know, at UCLA or Brown University or Stanford is when you teach conservation at a university, you reach a very, very small segment of society. And I think everybody's a conservationist at heart. You know, nobody, you know, if you ask somebody, do you want to destroy the planet? Do you want to ruin the ocean? Do you want to drive species extinct? Everyone would say, no, of course not. Um, So, And the Aquaria is the perfect place to reach an audience and to reach people who may never have a chance even to, to take conservation at a major university. So that's the, really the motivation of the course is this notion that we can reach people that otherwise just won't have the opportunity. But then we also wanted to give something back to the community, Long Beach, because Long Beach has really been a wonderful supporter of the aquarium. And so we wanted to have a really Formal class. Formal is maybe the bad word because it sounds stuffy and not fun, but maybe the better word is a course. Well, you get college credit for taking a class. So, so this is something that's open to high school students for free in Long Beach. So it could be their first college course credit. It's taught through Orange Coast Community College, but it's on the site of the aquarium. And so this is an opportunity to give back to the community. And I think, you know, courses in a lecture room, for a lot of us, aren't really interesting. I was never very good at lecture courses. I just, I just couldn't sit still, and they couldn't hold my attention. But at the aquarium, you know, we could take the students around and show them our sea otters, show them what we're doing with sharks, show them live animals, hands-on stuff. And it's much more engaging. So it's, you know, we can reach an audience that's normally not reached, and we could reach them in a fundamentally different way than is in a lecture course at a university or even, you know, lectures at high school.
0: Let's tempt some people to maybe get on your wait list or to yeah. find out more about the future class. Suppose we're sitting in your classroom. I even hesitate to call it a classroom. It's going to be a lecture hall in the aquarium. Mm-hmm. On August 30th, the first night of the course, what might we experience?
1: Well, what you'll experience is... You'll get what you would get in any course and some good basic information, but you'll also meet people who don't teach conservation. You'll meet people who do conservation. And we have a lot of projects here. So they'll get to meet our staff, our highly professional staff, who do everything from mountain yellow leg frogs. We have the last few last populations of them, to artificially inseminate sharks, to our sea otter surrogacy program. And I think you know there's something to be said for not reading about something in a book but meeting the people who do it and having a conversation with them and seeing their passion and seeing that they come in all shapes and sizes and genders and and races and and it's just meant to show them the human side of it to not make it feel like science and conservation is done by some sort of elite super
0: class that is unattainable. It's really attainable by everybody. I really loved listening to your lecture from the Nature Conservancy, where you exploded some myths, and one of the ones that you exploded about environmentalism is the image of the solitary, lonely male environmentalist. And you said, no way do people do environmentalism on their own. What are some of the ways you're going to get the students
1: working? Well, that's, you know, in the course title, it's, it's conservation, but also community science. And That's a big part of it. I'm not sure if there's any course by that title anywhere. I haven't done the research, but I bet there probably isn't. And it's the community that I'm talking about. You know, some conservation research and action, you know, is done by high technology and PhDs. But increasingly, a lot of conservation can be done by communities, volunteers. Here in Long Beach, we have a volunteer program that goes out and monitors sea turtles in the San Gabriel River. You know, we have the Las wetlands, and people go out and restore things. There's a lot of conservation that is best done by communities. And in fact, the community part of it is, in some cases, it's the only way to do it. Things are changing so fast, and we have climate change. You know, I've been a research scientist much of my life at a university. No research scientist can get a grant and have a big enough staff to look at plastic on the beaches all over California. Couldn't be done. You need a community to do it. So there's programs out there where people can you know, take photos of trash, record what it is, and then you know, hundreds, maybe thousands of volunteers, beaches all across the coast. And you learn a lot about what is washing up on our beaches? Where is it coming from? Under what conditions, storms and so forth? So that there are certain conservation things that can only be done by a community because they need so much person power. The second advantage of sort of community conservation is that when you engage people, when they feel like they've done something you know, you've got them hooked for life. And, you know, you don't feel, it's not remote. You don't feel powerless. You feel like you can make a difference. I know when I was at the Nature Conservancy, after the Deepwater Horizon, big oil spill, and all the oil had washed up in the Gulf Coast. So a lot of money was spent on restoring oyster reefs. Well, you know, you could Contract a big industrial firm to go out and restore oyster reefs. There's no machine that could do it. It takes hands. And I remember when the Nature Conservancy put out its first call for volunteers, we were shocked. We were, you know, people from army bases, we couldn't handle the volunteers. So many people wanted to dig in and do something. The striking thing about that story, so I knew about that. I was not directly involved, but one of the scientists who worked for me was. It was hugely successful. But then the really cool thing is, I think we all know about you know sort of Google Images and, and what you can find in, in Google Images, we were able to see the impact of that community restoration, not just seeing the reefs, but seeing behind the reefs, meaning not shoreline, that the beaches were actually rebuilding because the reefs that we had put in. Had reduced the erosion. So there's the opportunity to actually see something that you've accomplished locally. You know, if as you restore wetlands and stuff, you can see it, it's tangible, it's not
0: intellectual. I think that's very powerful. What might these students get to do in this course? What can they restore or monitor or what other projects are there? You
1: know, we gotta, we're going to take them. We have optional field trips because students are, you know, to different places. In some cases, it'll be, you know, for example, going to the Marine Mammal Rescue Center to see how many animals are rescued and so forth. Or it'll be to go to the wetland. One of the things we actually want the students to do is learn how to have conversations with the public and to design their own ideas for community engagement and and sort of community conservation. And I say that, you know, I said a few minutes ago that everyone's a conservationist. I want the students to learn how to have conversations that bridge across some of the divides that fragment our society today. Because as I said, I think if we could all learn to have those conversations about you know, why the ocean matters and how we might do something about it and, you know, strip away all the political divisions because it's not a partisan topic. You know, it should matter to all of us. We'll have gone a long ways. So that's one of the things. We're going to challenge them to learn how to have those conversations and go out and have them about topics that they choose. Climate change, think about climate change. You know, climate change politically is a divisive topic. I think at a personal level, it need not be. If you don't talk about it from the point of view of, you know, what taxes are you going to impose or what the federal government's going to do, so it's not about your view of the federal government, but it's just your view of what do you see going on around you? How might you describe it? Does it scare you? Does it not scare you? Maybe you don't worry about it. Why is that? So it's that type of engagement that I think is really powerful. You know, the other things they're going to do is, you know, we're going to ask them to look at our exhibits and sort of learn how to think about what resonates with people, not words, not conversations, but what animals it exhibits. And I say that because, you know, the AZA, the AZA is the Association of Zoos and Mm Aquariums in the U.S., So although this class is is about aquaria and marine conservation, I really would hope that it starts people to realize that there's this network of zoos and aquariums all over the world, all over the United States, that are doing this. And no matter what city you move to, you know, if it's a big enough city, I bet you there's within not too far distance a zoo or an aquarium once you realize that there's this amazing network of zoos and aquaria across the nation, you will realize that, suppose that you move out of Long Beach, no matter where you go, maybe you'll be motivated to go to your local zoo and your local aquarium and see what's going on there in conservation. I think it's a, it's like a, an asset. It's a resource. We all know about Zoos and Aquarium as a resource for entertainment, for taking care of families. I don't think it's widely appreciated that they're a resource for conservation.
0: What about the wait list for the class? Is there going to be one or at this Yeah, we do have a wait list and we're going
1: to actually, we had a, you know, this is the first time we teach it and everything is harder the first time. So we sort of want to get our sea legs, if you will. So we we had a cap of 30 and then we just, you know, we just increased it to 36 because we want to, that's what can fit in our, what are called our watershed classrooms which is where we do a lot of teaching for high school groups. And so they're really a good physical space. You know, it's not a regular classroom. It's not like rows of seats. It's tables in a classroom where you can have animals and wet material. And so we wanted to hold it in one of our watershed classrooms so it was contained to that. So we've increased the wait list to 36. And then we're going to reflect after class of what we learned and. Think about, you know, how you might, I'm hoping we succeed marvelously, but I, I can't promise that, but we'll try. But if it succeeds, then we'll figure out ways to expand it, maybe to live stream it and do things like that so we can reach a, a broader audience. But you don't want to do that until you make sure you're doing a really good job of it.
0: Anyone who would like to get on a wait list, how do they do that?
1: I th- well, you can actually go to our website and we talk about the course at our website. The Aquarium of Pacific website, I should emphasize, and it gives you instructions about how to sign up.
0: That website is aquariumofpacific.org, where you'll find the new course, Ocean Conservation and Community Science, listed on their events page. What are some of the ways that, since you've been at Aquarium Pacific, you have seen conservation of the sea connecting people with our human connection to nature?
1: Well, you know. There's so many kids. With the, one of the reasons I actually even applied to the job at the aquarium is when I first taught at UCLA. I was teaching a class of graduating seniors, and I got to know them personally. And four or five of them—this was out of class of maybe 15—it was a small class doing research. They first got interested they by going to the Aquarium of Pacific. And they told me that story that sort of dawned on me. And then you go, and when you go to the aquarium, I like to, so much of my work now, sadly, is in front of a computer and in an office, in spite of what I said. But when I get kind of fatigued, maybe sort of worn down by that, I go and I walk around and I talk to the guests, especially especially the kids. One of the things that's really interesting to me is and i bet you've seen this if you know nephews nieces or you have children yourself they get animals that are their favorite you know kids you know and they come in and they say you know i'm gonna go see the otters right away i want to go see like i was surprised well, for a lot of kids jellyfish are their favorite things that's what they want to go see for other kids it might be the lorikeets for others the octopus for other it's the sharks and so what you learn is that each of us can identify with an organism for some reason, and it's a very real connection. And when you do that, I think what that does is it makes us all a little bit less narcissistic and a little bit less self-absorbed to start to think about this animal, this sentient being, this interesting creature that's not us. And there's a whole field of psychology now, research endeavor in psychology, that talks about the power of awe and interacting with nature just for your happiness. And I hope that, you know, in this class, we might even, you know, try to do some experiments to look at this, you know, expose students to different kinds of encounters with animals and then see how they feel about it. What does it make them feel like? So that, that dimension of you know, there's two sort of ways, I think, we, we engage in conservation in an intimate and personal way. One is habitat. One is we have a favorite place or a favorite habitat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's why we restore habitats and stuff. But the other one is a connection to an organism. And, you know, I hope that this class kind of reveals to each student where their connection lies how they find their connection in nature. You know, that could be life-changing. They really can.
0: What have you seen in terms of bringing youth into areas, as you've done before with the Nature Conservancy, about getting them involved in careers that maybe they wouldn't have considered before? But, you know,
1: you, you make a good point there because a lot of people don't realize the richness of careers out there. You know, if you care about conservation or the environment, even in science in general, I think people think that scientists go and become research scientists in a lab. But now over only over 50% of the PhDs that graduate do not go into research at academia. They could end up working for a private company, for a conservation organization, for a zoo, for an aquarium, for a city government. And I think that's really important that it's not like, you have to be an Einstein and a lab poet and some sort of genius to make a difference that there's just an incredible array of careers. And for the kids that take this class, and I mean, they're not all kids, but everybody's a kid to me these days. Um, but for the, the kids that take this class, you know, getting them to meet, we'll, when they meet the different staff, we'll have them tell the stories of how they got engaged. So they'll be exposed to, you know, 10 to 20 personal stories about a career path and how they got there. And that could be pretty uplifting because so often you think, you know, this is not for me, you know, I barely passed high school chemistry or something like that. And so I think people exclude themselves when they shouldn't. You know, there are so many things that can make you really effective at conservation. You could be a good storyteller. Because, you know, David Attenborough, I have a friend who's the head of a conservation organization, one of the big international ones named Conservation International, named Sonjan. He's the best storyteller I've ever seen. And he practiced that. You know, he got trained as a PhD scientist, but it's the stories that he tells that brings people in. Other people can be good graphic designers. And they can simplify concepts down to a beautiful picture and immediately people can say it. I don't know if you saw like this most recent Sunday's New York Times this week. It had a big article about the mega storm in California. Well the the researcher who did the research underlying that article was a postdoctoral fellow of mine of mine at UCLA his name is Deanna Swain. He's a gifted scientist but his real thing is being able to explain really complicated science in terms that anybody can understand. So that could be your power. You know, there's so many different talents that can allow you to really make a difference in in conservation. So you don't have to be great at chemistry. You don't have to be great at math. You just find your talent and find your way to contribute. That's one of the things we want to do in this class is identify all the different ways
0: an individual can make a difference. And each of us can find our own way. I love that you're approaching the students and asking for ideas about how might they promote conservation and what the aquarium's doing.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, just in general... Being I mean, from our just brief conversation we had just before we started, and you're really engaged with education. I get the I totally mess up this quote, but it's a really famous Ben Franklin quote that basically says, I'm going to mess it up, but lecture, you know, teach me and I might remember, but engage me and I will really learn. And I think that that's really the point. And that's something that, again, a zoo and aquarium can really do. It's real engagement. It's not just reading a textbook and seeing what the professor's PowerPoint and, you know, what, or what's been written on the blackboard.
0: I love the problem solving aspect. And I love that now we don't have school and real world. Now it's the real world teaches you lessons. And I really think that's exciting.
1: Yeah. And I think because you do pay attention to education, I'm sure you've realized that all of education is moving in that direction. The old kind of passive, Hand it down method. The way I was taught was just by lecture. But the reason that I became who I am is, you know, things like a canoe trip to Canada, things like, you know, with my dad going fishing in North Carolina in a little skiff and a little boat, or going gigging for flounder and learning things like where am I going to find a crab? What's the best place to find crabs if I want to catch crabs to eat? So, It was those things that got me into my field, not my high school biology textbook.
0: It's going to be fun five years from now to see who starts in a career in conservation as a result of coming to the class. Yeah. Five years from now, suppose things go exactly like you want them to and you get to expand the course. What's going to be happening with ocean conservation and community science?
1: Well, you know, what I hope to do is like if we can... And we have a really terrific, her name is Cassandra Davis, who runs our our local community science programs, and she has visions and aspirations. But wouldn't it be cool if all the aquariums that were along coastlines were part of a national network of community science? You know, I've thought about, I have a couple of good friends who pointed out, I did not know this before I came to Long Beach, but the power of lifeguards. You know, lifeguards are up and down the coast all around the U.S., Lifeguards are out there all the time. There's information lifeguards could be collecting during sort of their slow times that could build up a national database about what's going on with our coast with our coastline. So the notion is use Long Beach and our local area and habitats, and use the aquarium to pilot some of these things, and then take advantage of the power of Aza and the whole network of aquariums to be able to find out well look at like climate change is causing animals to show up in places that we've never seen them before well a network of community scientists is going to be our best chance of detecting these strange and unusual events that are happening because of climate
0: change when we hear There's, people talk about climate change we almost hear a doomsday sound but that's not what i'm hearing from you
1: no no and not at all You know, and that's for really two reasons. One is that I think the one thing you know, climate change. I don't want to sound too optimistic because it's it is a tough problem. But climate, and there is no silver bullet. But climate change is is something that we know enough science to know what will help. So it's not a matter of, we don't know what to do. We know what to do. And I think it's a matter of getting people to care and letting them find their way of contributing and as opposed to forcing them to say, you gotta go out and buy an electric car or saying, you know, stop eating beef because you know cows emit methane or contribute more. So if we can provide through courses like this, like a menu of where do you want to make a difference and motivate people, I think we can do something about it. And the other reason I'm optimistic is because I interact a lot with young people. And I think you know that they care and they're, they're motivated. We have a, at the aquarium, we have a, a team climate council. And it's teams, you know, every year they design a new project to do something about climate change and they're inspirational and they, you know, they're not getting paid for this or anything. They're just doing it. And to see their excitement and commitment is just incredible. So it's corny to say the future is the next generation, but it's also true, (laughs) as corny as it is. And this next generation is pretty unified caring about climate change.
0: What did they design this year? I'm curious.
1: Well, what they had done in the past is go to D.C. and sort of have climate councils. This most recent year, they they did things like tested messages or ways of, looked at ways of reaching the public and trying to figure out different ways what people responded to. So it's, and messaging is, is important for climate change. I sometimes think that when we first started talking about it as global warming, it's probably not a good idea because warming almost sounds good, right? <laughs> you know, you live, it's, it just doesn't convey what's going on. I, I prefer like climate disruption or climate chaos, but not global warming. So, uh, So, you know, learning how to talk about things because words are powerful and learning what images, you know, there was... There was a really interesting little study that was done early on. People showed pictures of a polar bear on an ice, uh, on sort of a floating block of ice, and talked about climate change and what was going to happen to the polar bear. Well, that worked for some audiences, many people who cared a lot about polar bears. But then the image that worked better was showing a polar bear in an alley, in an urban alley, as though they were homeless. And that image resonated. Then people got it. You know, sitting on an iceberg, yeah, yeah, yeah. But homeless polar bear had a totally different impact. There's so much, and that's why I use the word art. That's art. That's not science.
0: If people could only get one thing from you, about innovation, creativity, and making a difference. What would you like them to take away from the conservation work you're doing and the new class that you're teaching at the aquarium?
1: I guess I would say, you don't have to let things happen to you. You can go out and change things. And even as an individual, I think we all underestimate our power, especially if you're also social while you're doing it and gather your friends and your family to help you. So forget about it just being due to the politicians and forget about it just being due to the scientists. Find your own way.
0: Dr. Kariva, thank you for your time today. Great. Well, it was a pleasure talking to you. You and I have been listening to Dr. Peter Kariva, President and CEO of Aquarium of the Pacific in Long Beach and lead instructor of the aquarium's new course, Ocean Conservation and Community Science, taught in partnership with Orange Coast College. While the class is currently full, as Dr. Kariba said, there is a wait list, which you can find at aquariumofpacific.org on their events page. This is the inaugural semester of ocean conservation and community science. Be watching the aquarium's website for updates as they continue in their mission of conservation, education, and inspiring the next generation of community leaders to find their connection with nature. Once again, that is aquariumofpacific.org. that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two, T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X. And you can contact us at twomavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.